Yeah. Um, here we go. Oh, you have the link? Yeah, one second. Yeah. Invite them doing this. Copy link. Getting better every week. I think I just did it. All right. So, Hevra, we are um, in our series regarding the seven prophetesses, and we are up to Hannah. Many people are familiar with some of the story of Hannah. I think what will become very meaningful is, aside of just giving a quick overview and learning again from the Gemara, the verse, which is our key to understanding what's the unique contribution of Hannah vis-a-vis the other, the other six from the seven, but even in understanding the uniqueness of Hannah in general. But let's first begin with the Gemara. So Hannah, she's our fourth. We went through Sada, Miriam, right? The Voida, and Hannah. Now just a Hannah means the grace of God, right? Chain of Hay. So the Chsiv, it says, how do we know that she's a prophetess? Now, the Pasuk that the Gemara quotes, right, which is a Pasuk from Shmuel Aleph, is a Pasuk that we read the first day Rosh Hashanah, the Haftarah. First day Haftarah Rosh Hashanah is the story of Hannah. This verse is towards the end of the story. So at least Bekitzer, even though people probably know that there was a Yid by the name of Elkanah, who was also a Navi, who had two wives, Penina and Hannah, they lived at the time of Mishkan Shiloi, around 2,800 years ago. And Pinino, the Gemara says, had pure intentions. That's an example of pure intentions doesn't cut it. That she purposefully, maybe subtly, but purposefully, made Hannah feel the pain of her being barren. Pinina had, had children. Hannah did not have children. Penina knew the capacity of Hannah. Hannah did something that's unique, as the Rebbe explains. No one did what Hannah did. No one accomplished what she accomplished. Perhaps no one even prayed for what she prayed, at least successfully. And <clears throat> at one point, she understood that if she won't daven, no one will daven on her behalf. It's a very harsh statement because her husband davened on her behalf. And according to the Gemara Penina, as weird as it sounds for us, even though she was like the competing wife, she davened for Hannah's behalf. But Hannah was unique. And Hannah ultimately entered the Mishkan and she davened in such an unusual way that Eli, the great Kayan, the Kayan Gadol, thought that she is under the influence. Or the way Hasidus says, he never thought she's under the influence. He told her that she's davening like someone under the influence. I'll explain in a moment the way Hasidus explains what that means. And she stood up for her type of prayer. She said that her prayer is not like someone under the influence in a negative way, but that's actually the deepest level of prayer. And Ailey accepted it. And not only did Ailey accept it, but most of the laws of prayer we learned from Hannah. When we had our prayer series, that was Gemara Brachas, I think page 34 or something around there, every, everything was about Hannah. Amazing. So Hannah is actually the prototype of prayer for all Jewish men and women. 
and she prayed to have a child, and God granted her prayer. Eli, the Kohen Gadol, stood corrected by his criticism and gave her a bracha that God should accept her prayer. And she had a child, and she only kept the child as long as there was the physical need for mother. The emotional need of a mother is forever, certainly in the formative years. But then there was, if you didn't have a nursemaid and you didn't have formula, if you don't have the mom present, children died from starvation. Like if a woman, a mother today is unable to nurse, it's not the end of the world. It's a whole different way of thinking. Going back not that many years, it was the end of the world. It could have meant the child would not live. So, and mothers nursed their children for two years, for thousands of years. That's the way it worked. So, and when Shmuel turned two years old, she brought him to Eli the Kohen Gadol. She actually gave him up for adoption. And when she brought him back, she thanked God. And what's amazing is that the proof that the Gemara brings that she was a prophetess was from the words that she used when she praised Hashem, not when she had a baby, when she was giving her baby away. And she tells God that that which means my heart means rejoices. My heart rejoices in God. Ramakarni, my horn, is exalted in God. Most people use the words of rejoicing today. Many people don't know Hebrew as much as we should. So Allahs might not be familiar, but people understand the English. My heart rejoices in God. In God has to be understood. But when people hear that, they don't say, what does she mean? But this next, my horn is exalted. Ramakarni, my horn is exalted in God. What does that mean? My horn is exalted in God. My horn, what does that mean? So the Gemara says like this that she actually was a prophetess. And what she foresaw is that her son Shmuel will be the one that will anoint kings. However, a specific rule regarding anointing a king, which is phenomenal. We just don't know what that is. We never saw that. When a king is inaugurated, he's taken to a body of water, ideally to a natural body of water connected to Tashlich. And in the ideal world, where we had the anointing oil that was made by Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu in the desert made a compound of oil that was meant to be used to anoint kings and special holy utensils used in the Mishkan. The amount of oil that he made was in the measurement of 12 loik. That's a few gallons. It's not a lot. And all of the 12 loik is intact until today. We say in the yeshiva, like the Baba Sali, people said that he had arak, and no matter how much he poured, the bottle was full. All of that came, the first one to do that was Moshe Rabbeinu. That it was used and used and used and used and used. And, and God told Moshe that the oil should be preserved forever in perpetuity. It was used until around 35 years before the first Beis Amikdash was destroyed. At that time, there was a king, Yoishio. He reigned for 22 years. He reigned for a long time. But th- again, 32 years before the Chorban Abayas, he understood 
that the temple is about to get destroyed, about meant 35 years. You know, just to know how that worked, that was the original Igris Kodesh. There was a Sefer Kodesh that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote that was left in the temple, in the Beis HaMikdash. And whether it was used once in seven years, whether it was used once a year, a big debate. It was occasionally used and it was rolled to the beginning. It means even after it was used, it was rolled back to Bereshit. During the times of the first Beis HaMikdash, there was a long period of time, it's hard to understand how it came to be that way, where it was misplaced and it wasn't used. Yoshio, amongst other things, he pushed it, refurbished, he upgraded, he gave a facelift to the Beis HaMikdash. During that cleanup, he found the Sefer Torah. He opened it up, and it wasn't in Bereshit, but it was in the Sukkim that speak about the Churban of the Beis Hamikdash and the Yidin going in exile, you know, from the admonition from the Toichacha. And he said that since Bahashkacha Pratas, when he opened the book, that's what he's reading, is Araya that the Beis Hamikdash is going to get destroyed sooner than later. So he chose the holiest articles that we have as a people, beginning with the Luchais, the Aran HaKodesh, and many other articles, including that jug of oil, and he hid it in the secretive room that King Solomon built. And it's there until today. During the times of the kings, the first kings, they were anointed. Who anointed them? Shmuel. Now listen to this nuance. Where is the oil placed for it to be used in anointing? So no one took the 12 loif container. I think it's don't, maybe only two gallons. It's not that big. It's really not that much. Maybe like the big orange juice. But it's like, it's scary how little it is and how much it was used and used and used. No one took that. A prophet took some of it and he needed to put it in a container and he would bring it to the king to be. And there was a special way how the oil was placed on the head of the king. And that is what made him into the king. To be anointed with the holy anointing oil made by Moshe. There were two options, putting it into a flask, which is an earthenware utensil, or putting it into a horn from an animal. So when she said that Ramakarni, my horn is exalted in God, what she saw is that her son will, will, will be from the very few that will be using a horn to anoint, not the usual flask to anoint. And who cares? What difference will it make? Huge. A king that was anointed with the same oil, but if the oil was not in a horn, that king's monarchy would not live on forever. He can be a king until his passing. It might even go to a son, might go to a grandson, but at some point, end of the line. And whoever was anointed with the oil from a keren, which is David HaMelech, and then Shloyma HaMelech, and only from then on kings from the dynasty of David, of Yehuda, they are guaranteed by God that from their descendants, there will always be a king. And kingship, which is something that we are, again, not yet familiar with because Mashiach is about to be revealed. But it's going to be a king. It's going to be a monarchy. Um, not the fancy palace the way people think. Could be a little bit a big palace. I think Hasidim have a very good image of a king because the Rebbe was like a king to us. Very modest. David Melech was so modest. David Melech Bachlal said, how can I have a palace if the temple is not built? He says, well, God is living in a, in a tent and I'm living like a Yiddish king. It's a title. It gives him a lot of power. It's a Ruchni thing. It's like the greatest role model. Like if you, you got as the king, 
But okay, what does that look like? So the greatest Jew that the that is the most bottled to God, the most humble king is I'm a servant, he said to the people, not a master over the people. That was Dovan HaMelech. 24-7, like that Eben, never took vacation. It's like it's amazing, always available for any need. I mean, he didn't have to say yes. Sometimes he had reasons, not, not that every time everyone got the answer the way they wanted, but just knowing that the Rebbe was there, he had an issue. There was never a time that Rebbe was not available. He would get your note within the hour, the top of every hour. It's amazing. That's like a king, a Yiddish king. Okay. So since she then saw that, she, that her son is going to use a cannon, so not my flask is exalted, but my, my horn meaning her son, this Shmuel is going to use a horn. Wow, she saw that and she gave praise for God for that merit, that through her came the one who will be using the horn and will make an effect that will go on forever. Now, from the many questions, on the story of Hannah, I would say the, the, the greatest innovation that I was moved by, that the Rebbe innovated concerning Hannah, was how can it be that Hannah is used as the role model and the base of prayer when so many great hidden daven before her. Like we say Avram Avinu was the first one that daven shachas. I'll tell you more, in Yiddish we say davening. It became an English word. What does davening mean? Davening means da'avuhoin. Da'avuhoin is a word in Aramish. It's just a, a it's, it's a corrupted Ar Ar Aramaic. Davening means from our parents. We name the prayer not what I'm doing, that we got this from our parents. Our parents meaning from Avram and Sarah that they daven. The Torah speaks about Yitzchak and Ifka davening to have a child. The Torah writes about that. How, how the power of prayer, of Rivka. So prayer began with the patriarchs and the matriarchs. Mamish. We say Avram Avinu daven Shemayna Esrei. Avram Avinu made up Shachris Yitzchak Minchan and Yaakov Maidiv. Hanukkah came many years later. I know. 2,800 years ago is a long time from then till now, but we began 4,000 years ago. I mean, it's 1,200 years prior, we had Jewish people davening. Moshe Rabbeinu davened in the Torah. By Spalal, the Yudgim Omidus Arachimim is in the Torah. What does it mean? What does it mean? So we, nowhere was it written that you're supposed to daven silently. Why not? If the way to daven is taka the way Chana davened, and all the details we learned in Brachas, so that should have been recorded prior because they also daven that way. Don't think that Avram Avinu did not daven silently. So why? Are, but it's written, you know, the whole all of the details of the story by Chana that your lips were moving and no voice was sound and many many other dinim. Those things were happening before. Now some people say that we don't learn from what happened before the Torah was given. That's not completely correct. Correct. Mitzvahs are not learned from before. Like, for example, when we do a bris milah, even though in the bracha we say, the Rambam says, you know why we do a bris to our children? Because God commanded Moshe on Sinai to tell us to do a bris. Avram Avinu was also commanded. We don't do things because God commanded Avram. Matan Torah is like our birth. It's nice to know that even prior to our birth, in the previous life, we also did it. Nice. But these details is not to teach us that we have to pray. We're davening because God told us in the Torah, serve me with all your heart. And we know that means prayer. That's written in the Torah. But how to pray, why, why, why should we not learn from the patriarchs and matriarchs? And if, and if, if anything, from Moshe after the Torah was given. There are many other questions, but that's 
uh, that's a question that the Rebbe has an amazing answer. It must be that there was something unique about her prayer. Now let's analyze what was unique about her prayer. What was unique about her prayer? Like you can say the greatest prayer is to have children. Okay, Yitzchak and Ifka, to have children. Maybe that was for themselves, have children. But she gave up her child and she, she davened for something that she gave away. Okay, so just whoever did not hear that, okay, Yafa saying very good that nowhere do we find that there was such a selfless prayer. First of all, Emmas, it was a selfless prayer. Well, my question that's the question why didn't anyone pray like her before? And maybe they did, but it's not recorded. There was something that she prayed for that no one was ever, no one ever prayed for. So let me tell you what that ever says. Oh, but let me tell you more. That's 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 okay. That's okay. It's a gavaldikachab. That when she said that I'm praying to have the seed of man, zera adam. Of course, we have human beings. We don't have animals. So that's already we know from 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 Kabbalah that that's like a code word. Zera adam means that she daven to have a son that's a tzaddik. And let me explain something. Freedom of choice is a foundation in Yiddishkeit. We daven for that which is up to God. And no one ever davened before for the child to be a tzaddik because they found that prayer to be out of our reach. Because if my child will be a tzaddik or not, that's up to my child's freedom of choice. That's connected to Nazirus, but before oh. the Nazirus. Hannah was the first one that davened for her child to be a tzaddik. So the concept of a mother choosing for a child to be a tzaddik, which might sound so natural for you, Jewish mother, I'm not, it's good, it's a good thing. That, that, that is something that we got from Hannah. Prior to Hannah, people began with the premise, which, by the way, is grounded in Torah. That every person has freedom of choice. Even when you bring him to Ailey, even a child that is a child of a tzaddik, forget, let's, let's put Shmuel aside. There were many great tzaddikim in our history that had children, that grew up with them, and many of them were married to wives that were also like them. I'm talking about Tzidkanius, a real tzaddik, tzaddik tzaddikis. Did all their children turn out to be tzaddikim? No. Did all their children turn out to be observant? No. Did all their children turn out to be at least good people? No. That's the way it is, that every person has their own freedom of choice. How much you look at Nach, you know, the king Ben Melech, the father of, of Chizkiyah Melech, the son of Chizkiyah Melech, were Rishoyim. I'm saying words of Tanakh, heavy words, Mamish Rishoyim. When his father passed away, he dragged him down the street, on the street, behind a horse, so his body should become dismembered. Because his father was so wicked. I'm just trying to point out. So, so Emela, Tzadik, the son of Arasha, but you have Rishon, the, the children of Tzadik. Look at today's reality. Look how many amazing families. Mamash, today it's never like never before. Not that they did or made a mistake, but they're innocent. They didn't know. They did not make a mistake. You don't know. You can't, you can't see a child today that is completely off the derech. I'm not just talking off the derech in the ritual part of Yiddishkeit. Sometimes, God forbid, a child is bad. 
bad meat is hurtful. And the parents are great parents and they did everything right. I'm not saying it's always that way, but such a thing is always possible. You know why it's possible? Because part of being a human being is having freedom of choice. That's why, again, the Gemara tells us that my Yerushalayim is up to me. Now, it could be certain people have an easier time to be more aware that God is present. Certain people have a very difficult time. True. Like certain people have a tendency to have good meters. Certain people have tendencies with bad meters. But everyone has freedom of choice. And therefore, no one thought that it's correct to daven for the tzitkis of a child. What Hannah did was now, Hannah naturally was unable to have a child. You know, I don't know if what I'm saying now was set up on Hannah. I know by, by Sada and by the Imois and by Rivka and by Rachel, it says that they didn't have a physical womb. Like, not that they're not ovulating well or whatever. Something is, they, 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 there, was, there was missing a body part. For them to have a nest, God needed to change nature that we already had before. Is everyone Zoicha? No, but that there's the potential in everyone's prayer to mamish change, yes. As Hasidah says, may it be a will. That means that we're, we have the ability at times to create a new will within God. God did not want for something to happen. It was not part of God's plan. And because of our tefillah, we are creating a new will. Which is amazing. Mind-boggling. That wasn't unique to Hannah. The uniqueness of Hannah was this. That's what the Rebbe says. Is that she was the first Jewish person that davened for a child to be a tzaddik. This is correlated with the fact that she decided for him to be a Nazar. I want to explain something. When No one can decide for you to be a Nazar. When he became Bar Mitzvah, he needed to opt in. But once he opted in, what did we see? He had freedom of choice. But when he opted in, we also will say that his mother made him into a Nazar. Shmuel had freedom of choice. But when he always chose to become a Tzaddik, it wasn't only Shmuel. It was also because of Hanuk. When a Yid goes today to a Rebbe and they ask for a bracha to have Yira Shamayim, we got that from Hanuk. Prior to that, you didn't ask for that. That's up to you. After you have a bracha, they don't take away your freedom of choice. Shmuel is going to Ganeiden and not, well, he was born without freedom of choice. So he's like, just, you know, he had no option. No, he had freedom of choice. But Hannah's prayer was so deep that she was able to give birth to a human being with freedom of choice and already put in him that he's going to become a tzaddik. I think by candlelighting almost all Jewish women today, even for the children to be tzaddikim, the yisharim and this and that, that's Hannah. Now, just to appreciate the, the the koyach of that. And, and I, I really think that's the, the pasuk of here of the horn. How many times that I hear uh, that the Jewish people are an eternal people, that that nation is gone and the other nation is gone and we're still here. One second, how are they gone? They're still there also. The Greek are here and the Italians are here, the Romans are here and the Egyptians are here. How are they not here? The Chinese are here. It's not about the empire. I'll tell you more than that. It's that it's more than the empire. There is the physical person. And then there is like the hardware and the software. And what do we have within us? What, what message do we have? What, what's our soul? We're the only people with the same message. 
No, just because, let's say, the Chinese could have the Chinese now, let's say they're there for 5,000 years. Let's say they're there for, for five and a half thousand years, right after the Mabel, right after the, the Doi Haflog. Could be. But then they had a different God, had a different language, had a different culture. These are not, these are not meaningless things. That's everything. It was, a different, it was a different soul. Just because people think, what's the greatest thing that I'll do in my life? I'll have children because that's my eternity. Well, physically, yeah. Our physical eternity is having children, which is amazing because everything ends. And here, when we up, choose to get married and have kids, it's already, you know, it's eternity. Yes and no. Eternity is when our kids are from. And I'm not saying this, God forbid, I know many people. I would say today, almost every family has, has, has members that are struggling with that. That's a, that's a challenge that we all share. But when, 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 when you keep Shabbos now, that's eternity. Not because biologically your great-grandfather and mother was by Mar Sinai. That's garnished compared to what I'm saying. It's that they kept Shabbos because God said so, that we have the same God and we keep the same mitzvahs. That's eternity. That's amazing. And every generation has their freedom of choice. So sooner or later, like, Lahavdal a million times, my foolish example that came to my head. When you go gambling, you're betting on red, you're betting on red, you'll hit and miss. But that there are thousands of years, and look at us, in spite of all the persecution and all the reasons why not to be from. And there were so many of them that God created through Ashgacha Pratis, that there's even one Jew that's observant is, is a miracle. It's eternity. Eternity is God. Nothing that is created is eternal. It's 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 a it's an attribute of God of godliness, and that's exactly what a prophet what a prophet or a prophetess is. It's a person that merges with God. When Hashem talks to them, like we mentioned, whose voice does God talk to? With their voice, there's a connection, the highest connection between a person and Hashem is a, of a navi. So it makes sense that there should be from the neviim someone, and that's Chana, who who not only prayed for but succeeded. In introducing the concept that there can be an eternity amongst the Jewish people, not a biological eternity, which is also amazing because many people wanted, like Hitler, to physically kill the, the gene, the DNA of the Jew. But it's much more than that. It's that Eden today are still keeping mitzvahs. Or to use the words of Hannah, to have Zera Adam, or the way Hasidus explains that she davened for a child to be a tzaddik. Now, of course, she gave him up. There was a lot that she did aside of her prayer, but she also davened for it. And the Rebbe says that the reason why Ellie called her a drunken woman, he never thought that she's drunk. He felt that this is a prayer of a drunkard. Doesn't make sense. He never heard someone davening to have a child that's a tzaddik. It's not rational. It's, it's against the Torah. So if nature says you don't have a womb and a Jew says, well, that's what nature is telling me. But you know what? God is great. I'm talking to God. God, whatever, whatever I need, change nature. That is something we know from Avram Avinu, which is amazing. But if the Torah says something, to pray almost to transcend the Torah, transcending is the feeling of a shikir. When you're shikir, you think like you're invincible, you have no limits. It's limitless. She made a limitless, she was asking that her child should be a tzaddik. And Hannah said that if prayer doesn't come from the depths of your soul, then you're right. Then you can't daven for that. But I'm davening from such a deep place that from that place, there was no, there's no limits. 
there's nothing that's impossible. There can be a person that has freedom of choice, yet we can already say that that person will be a tzad. It's a, it's a stira, yeah. On that core level, which is really the godly, God, God is above all limitations. Two things can happen that are opposites at the same time. There's nothing that we cannot daven for. And this limitlessness, this, this, this eternity that we represent, we who chose to be from, we can always be from it, but just to know that our lifestyle is the greatest thing that the, uh, the world ever had. Because, because we're taking something that Mamash was alive then, and it's exactly alive. Our Yiddishkeit, we're orthodox. That's exactly what it is. With all the tainas and with all of the questions, we represent God's eternity. A lot more than the biological Jewish people. From a people. And that, that inspires people every time they struggle with a choice. Big choice, little choice. In this mitzvah, and that mitzvah. Listen, we're not tzaddikim. But when we choose the right thing, it's a miracle. We're choosing a miracle. It's a ness. It's, we're choosing a miracle because it's not about us. I'm not choosing to, I'm going to keep Shabbos. No, I, I'm choosing that God's Shabbos should live through me. That's, that was also the selflessness. It wasn't, I'm Shmuel, I want to have a child. No, I want to have a child for God to have another uh, great leader. It wasn't about her. All of our Yiddishkeit is that way. None of it is about us. People might think that way when they're younger, but it's, we know it's not true because many people will tell you that in their perspective, it didn't really work out for them. And you don't, have to, you don't have to explain it how it did. Could be he didn't. When a Jew lost a job because he kept Shabbos, you have to explain to him that it's really for your good because you're going to now get a better job. Maybe, yeah, maybe not. Some Jews didn't work for them. It was, they didn't choose to keep Shabbos for them. They were keeping it for God. It's a whole different mindset. All of that is Chana. Chana is eternity. And that's a big koyach that we have. That's a big koyach that we have. It talked to me more than everyone else. I know that when you daven from the core of your heart, you can even daven for this. That's the biggest feeling. To daven that our kids should be righteous and our kids should be kind and our kids should be from. I, they have freedom of choice. Okay? God, give me righteous kids. Give me tzaddikim as kids. Amazing. And, 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 we, and we, we succeed in our prayers. We just have to be, we have to understand how important it is and how deep it really does touch us all and daven from that place. And then we can daven like a shikir. And, and that's why if something needed to be forever, that's the horn. Oh, other kings were kings, but how long were they kings for? For a hundred years? If it, if it went three generations? Or who, which kingship goes forever? David HaMelech. So anything that's forever, Hannah. Because she taka merged with God. Ideally in the format of Shemana Esrei, but certainly this prayer will not be from the words of the Shemana Esrei. This will be every now and then, ideally, and it doesn't have to be in the format of Shemana Esrei. Chana did go to Shiloh. She did not daven this from her home. Because normally for you to merit to touch that point, you have to go through first the external steps. And then every now and then, hopefully more than less, something deeper opens up. And when that opens up, to know that there's nothing you cannot ask for, even for this. This is the biggest feeling. That children that are going to stay from. Silent meaning that no one else heard it other than her. Because he had Ruach HaKodesh. 
Because Eli wasn't the way people think, like this clueless, God forbid, person. No, no. He understood, he, he, he felt what she's davening. Do you hate him? Well, she gave him Eli. Right, so Eli raised him. That means if you think that the foolish people, not you, I'm saying that Eli, Tom criticized her, she would never give him to Eli. In the, in the second base, Anigdash, there were sadly many Kohanim Gedoylam that were not great Sadiqim. No, no, he was a great Sadiq. He challenged, who taught you how to, how can you tap him for that? Sure, she did. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let me say it like this. Uh, you have your two sons are young, but I was sent away from my home when I was 13 to go learn in yeshiva. You have many of my colleagues, Shluchim, here that are two, three hours drive away. They send their kids to Cheder when they're eight years old and to the girls' school, nine years old. In other words, in other words, knowing, knowing the importance of being with their mother and father, knowing the even greater importance to have from my kids. And if a parent feels that for my kids to be from, it's there for the thousands of years, we sacrificed that which is the most precious to us for that to happen. That was the biggest sacrifice. Biggest sacrifice. Did she have more children? I'm not knowledgeable yet in Navi, so I don't know. I don't know. If anyone here knows, I'll, now I became curious. I'm going to find out. Well, I guess that I never heard that. That Penina's children passed away, that I know from the Gemara. That, that was the whole, I mentioned it in brief, that Penina, L'Shem Shamayim, Penina knew that Chanek can daven the way no one else will daven. That can't be because a man is not allowed to marry two sisters. That was before the Torah was given and that was even, that was something that Yaakov felt himself unworthy because he did something, he was obligated to do it because he promised that Rachel he's going to marry her. And keeping the Torah before the Torah was given was like a, being machmer. But you can't be machmer on the account of the basics. So the goyim, the benenoya, have to keep the word. That's the way that I was. So he gave a word he's gonna, he needed to marry. I, he took upon himself to keep all the mitzvahs. Now there was a conflict of, of values. Keeping the basics or keeping the beyond basics, then you have to keep the basics. But after the Torah was given, you can't marry sisters. Penina really was a holy woman, but, but she said the Chana was very hurtful to her and Dafka, because she was that holy, God held her to the higher standard and she was punished and her children passed away. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Now, again, did she have children afterwards? There are people that know that know a lot more. This is just little pieces. It's hard to get the whole picture by only knowing a few pieces and we only know a few pieces. Okay, good. So we are up to now Abigail. We have Abigail, Hulda, and Esther. And even if we'll take a break because of Yontav, let's finish. This is an interesting series for me. I thank you for proposing yeah, that's that. Great. I, I've, I've heard the name. I've heard she, You'll she, see. she was one of the wives of David Amelach. Oh, okay. She okay. saved David Amelach while she was still married to the first husband. Oh, don't ask it. Uh, but David Amelach was a different, different than Bacheva. Yeah. We have to be very cautious to speak about David Amelach because we're playing with fire. I shouldn't say that the introduction. Playing with fire. Was when people read these stories and they and they project their own. Listen, we are who we are. We're not saying you know God made us that way, but these were not this type of people. David Amalek was not this type of person. David Amalek was a tzaddik. 
So it's not, not what we think, I get what happened. We have no idea what happened. And the Gemara says, whoever says King David sinned is making a mistake. That's speaking gently because the Gemara speaks gently. It's a chutzpah. It's, the, it's tragic that when people speak about Dovar HaMelech, what comes to their mind is what they perceive to be their feelings is superimposed on Dovar HaMelech. It's terrible. One should never do that. Anyways, oh, let's finish with Hannah. Huldah was a prophetess. It's such a Gemaldic story. What, what, I'll tell you, it, no, this is during the times of the first base Amigdash. She was before Esther. And uh, Never heard oh, you're gonna hear you're gonna go crazy. There's books written on her story about a proposal to marry, and, and a man didn't marry her, and he married someone else. And so, this, anyways, we'll get to that slowly, slowly but surely. Shkoya, any questions? <laughs> All right.